Hello and welcome to another episode of the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. As always, this is your host, Paris Grant, coming to you with everything financial. Now, almost on every show, I tell you that there are other personal finance podcasts out there, and I thank you so much for listening to mine. I genuinely appreciate all the support you guys have given me, new listeners, old listeners, in-between listeners, all of you. Like, if I can make any difference in your financial life, I consider myself successful. And I think of myself as a pretty good podcast host. But I'm also conscious of the fact that the way that I talk or the things that I go over might not necessarily resonate or be relevant to you. So something that I wanted to start doing with the podcast is actually shining light on some of these other voices that are in the same community. So it could be that the way that, you know, that I go about things just doesn't really jive with you, but you understand that personal finance is important. I want you to know that there is a voice out there that will be able to relate to you, a voice out there that you're going to feel comfortable listening to, a voice out there that you will trust. And even if it's not mine, that's okay with me because ultimately for me, financial literacy is the main thing. So as long as financial literacy is being taught and being embraced, I'm happy. So with that being said, this episode features Alex from Main Street Finance. And he actually has a podcast and a YouTube channel, both on the same name, and both those links are inside the bio, so please go check them out. But he's another he's another personal finance podcaster, great guy, super uh, lots of value, super passionate about what he does, and just lots of fun really. So definitely recommend giving him uh checking him out. You can go ahead and subscribe if you like what he has to say. But otherwise, right now, you're listening to the Millennial to Millionaire podcast, where we do not keep it 100, we keep it 1 million. And without further ado, we're just going to get right into the show. Thank you guys for listening, and that's it. Keep it 1 million. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from them. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Please go check it out if you're a podcaster and you're already making episodes anyway. You might as well get paid for it. That's what we're all about here on the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. Speaking of, do not forget to add my name in the how did you hear about us section when you go to apply. That's all, guys. Make sure you don't keep it 100. You keep it 1 million. And welcome back to the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. As always, this is your host, Paris Grant, coming to you with everything financial. And today I'm actually joined by a special guest, and he's special for a lot of different reasons. He's special because, one, he's another millennial personal finance podcaster. And the whole premise of this series that I'm doing is to bring more exposure to the personal finance space. I'm always saying that there's more than just me out there. And I kind of want to show you guys that there are different voices of people doing the same thing. So without further ado, this is Alex from Main Street Finance. How are you doing today? Oh, you know, just having a good time. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. So, uh, I mean, obviously I gave you a little bit of an intro right there, but can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, what it is you do? Sure. Well, I'll tell you what, let's start with the career. First off, uh, I graduated with a degree in finance and I'm currently a credit analyst for a 
let's say medium-sized bank, about 20, 30 billion in assets. So medium-sized bank credit analyst, uh, as a career, I look at people's personal financial statements, their tax returns, their businesses' tax returns. I work on the commercial side. So it's a lot of small business owners or some even medium-sized business owners. So I spent the last couple of years doing that job and I still do it, still love it. I'm going to keep doing it. But it gives you an opportunity as a credit analyst to see... <clears throat> it gives you an... It gives you an opportunity as a credit analyst to really see the financials and the stories of a lot of wealthy individuals and business owners especially to see kind of the story of how they got to where they are and it's a combination between that and me being dissatisfied at the current standard of financial education in america that i decided to make a personal finance podcast so i know there's a lot of personal finance podcasts youtube channels and other things out there but how I like to keep myself different is I like to talk about the basics. A lot of people will skip over steps one, two, and three and jump right in talking about personal finance as if you already have a base knowledge. I try to make all of my material in a way that you're starting from zero and you're picking it up as you go. And that works to not only cater to people who may not have been exposed to this before, but also the people who have a shaky foundation on a lot of these topics, it kind of shores them up there and then builds them from that point. Got it, got it. Nice, that's really cool. And I think it like, I really do uh, definitely see what you're saying because there are, it's kind of the same reason why I started my podcast was because there's a lot of people talking, using terms that they just assumed that people already knew. And I was like totally lost and I couldn't find a real place where there was like information about just like the basics, basics. So I do think that's really cool. Uh, but speaking of foundation, what have you always been into finance? What inspired you to go to school for it? Like, did you grow up financially literate? No, not exactly. I mean, I've always had a want for it. I actually was cleaning out my, I actually was cleaning out my garage the other day. I remember the first time I really got into finance was I just knew that investing was a way that you put your money somewhere and it grows. And this had to be maybe middle school because my aunt had taken me to a bookstore because I was a big reader. So it was kind of like my birthday or something. So we went to the local bookstore and I found a book that was, I think it was how to, how to make money with mutual funds. And I read it and it was really interesting to me, but it talked to you as if you had the investment account and here's how you invest in it. Here's why you would do that. But I was never able to do anything with that because I didn't know how to invest in mutual funds. Like I didn't know you have to go to these specific brokers or you have to go to this specific group of people that is a broker, open an account and then through that account, you need to fund it. And then once it's funded, you have to do a trade and in the trade you purchase the mutual fund. So because I didn't have that base knowledge of here's steps one, two and three, because they jumped straight in the book to yeah, buy mutual funds. Okay, but how mechanically do you do that? So it's sort of that background that made me want to look at the foundation because if you don't have step one, you're not going to get to step 10. So that's really how I started on really wanting to hit the foundation. But also it's like I would talk to, I would also be talking to family members and friends just about random things because I keep track of stuff in the news. And it's like, I'll just mention a term and people will be like, what's that? And it's stuff like a dividend. Like, oh, what's what's a dividend? Oh, wow. Well, in fact, especially about the word dividend, I in my house, Monopoly was a big game to play. And there's that one 
community chest card that you can get that is your company pays out a, your company decides to pay out dividends collect $50 or receive a dividend of $50 and every time we got that card like there'd be a pause because you know you got to pick up the card and read it so everyone knows what you got and there'd be a pause and it's like what's a dividend and at the time neither my mom or my stepdad could answer me like what's a dividend uh, I just collect $50 like it doesn't matter what it means it it says get $50 get $50 so it's that sort of well, to answer your original question, no, I definitely did not start off financially financially literate. Got it, got it. So you go to school for finance, you end up becoming a credit analyst, and you're realizing, you said that you just were not happy with the like financial education in America. Uh, I mean, you started this podcast page, but what would you generally say, what would you say your general feeling is towards, I guess, our generation, because you're 25, I'm 24, both millennials, as far as our generation goes, what do you think are some of like the best qualities when it comes to money and the worst? Like, what do you wish there was more of and less of? Let's see, best and worst. I think best is that we have, as a generation, a much greater opportunity to get income, not just from a regular job, because regular jobs, it's like the real median wage is really not grown. But from that, what I mean is you've got stuff like Uber, Instacart and all those other like Fiverr stuff where if you have a hobby or a side hustle you can turn that into something to generate cash flow that's definitely an advantage that we have over really any other generation so that I like and a lot of people have taken to it but over generations you also get a lack of financial knowledge which kind of hamstrings you so as far as bad habits along with that additional ability to gain more income you have a lot more social media outlets, which with those social media outlets, they're able to better collect your data and sell that to companies, especially advertisers. So those advertisers having a lot easier time now than at any other time in history to find out exactly what kind of products that you would shell out money for and then put that product directly in front of you every time you log on to an account. So I think our biggest weakness is that we use the social media and all this other stuff. Now, look, I love me some Facebook and Reddit, but it, but you have to admit these services are free for a reason and they're free so they can see what your interests are, what you're posting about, find an advertiser that would love to sell to you and put it in front of you. Got it, got it. You mentioned a lot, uh, you know, going to the basics, the foundations of it, you know, steps one, two, and three, instead of just starting out at step four. Can you tell us what step one, what, like what these steps are? Well, first step for anything is to find out what you're doing, or at least get a base knowledge. So I know it's kind of a cop out to say, what's step one? Well, step one is to find out what the other steps are. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Well, because you get a lot of times where it's like, like everyone and their mother knows that they should be investing in their 401k. Like you ask any millennial, they know investing in a 401k equals a good thing to do so we have that knowledge but then the question becomes okay well what is a 401k oh it's so you can buy investments okay what kind of investments uh, and then what kind of investments what do you mean I put in 3% what, what about a match do they just give me the cash and I got a deposit do they put it in uh, what, what's an asset allocation so everyone knows throw money in a 401k and that's the tagline people get 
But the lack of knowledge leads to a lack of confidence. A lack of confidence means you're not going to do whatever the thing is. So you can tell people, hey, put your money in a 401k. But if they put it in the 401k and it never gets invested, which if you do one Google search, you'll find a dozen of these stories where it's like, well, I was always told put 10% in the 401k. Well, I put it in the 401k, but I never set an asset allocation. So it all sat there in cash. Oh, wow. So like I've seen stories of that where it's like, yeah, I started investing, got my first job in 2006. And then in 2013, I found out what investing is. So I was like, oh, wow. You know, this is like the biggest market boom after the crash in history. Let's go see what my balance is. And it's, well, not great because <laughs> they put their money in. Sure, they were invested during that great time, but they weren't included because they were in a money market fund paying out one and a half percent. Oh, wow. So it's that lack of knowledge that if you don't know what you're doing, you're not going to benefit from doing the thing. That makes sense. So, you know, you go to school, I mean, you, like you said, you went, you just graduated, congratulations, with your degree in finance. Um, outside of school, how else do you continue to learn more about, like, personal finance? Well, I tell you, the absolute best thing you can do to learn about finance is to start a show that you teach personal finance. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because you don't want to just, like, no one in their right mind, or at least I don't, I imagine there's someone who does, starts a podcast on something they don't understand. And then even me, I have a degree in finance. I've been very passionate about this for the last five years. And then you go, and then you go to make a show and then you're like, well, I could just completely do this based off my own knowledge. But you know what, let's do some extra research. Let me get some good quotes. Uh, let me get these exact figures of oh, well, the Federal Reserve states that, da, da, da. So then that starts you down the rabbit hole of finding all kinds of different stuff. Now, I graduated cum laude with a degree in finance. I graduated with honors 4.0 in every single one of my finance classes. But you don't really get taught personal finance. Hmm. A lot of the stuff you get taught in corporate finance easily applies to personal finance. But you don't really get that specific knowledge, so you got to dig deeper and sort of supplement the base knowledge with just additional research well as you're going through and well rather as i'm going through doing research for these episodes i'm even learning more stuff and i'm supposed to be the one teaching got it i definitely know what you mean but they do say <laughs> the be they do say the best way to the best way to learn is to teach and uh, like, I, for sure and i definitely understand what you're saying because it's like the same thing here where like having the knowledge is one thing but then being able to like but then like you have a certain level of knowledge, but then like you said, you go, you get this, like you start researching more and there's just like so much more out there. So I was actually like, you know, how long have you been doing the podcast for? Actually just like five or six months at this point. I think it started in March or April of this year. So how, what was the process from like, how did it come into beginning? Like you were sitting around, I mean, obviously like you said, you know that there was like a lack of like formal, uh, like financial education, but how did, like what's the inception of the actual podcast? Well, so since college, I've known or rather been aware of and been passionate about trying to solve the problem of getting people educated or rather put some stuff out there to teach people about personal finance. I spent my last couple of years in college and my first couple of years out of college going through and just helping anyone I could. Hey, a lot of times I did it by trying to be sneaky. Like I'll just go, hey, did you see that article that, I don't know, some reason uh, Tesla's doing a stock split. So that's something that's going on right now as we're recording that I'm just using as an example. But like, I'd be out with friends and be like, wow, 
see Tesla's having a stock split? What's a stock split? Oh, well, funny you should ask. Uh, oh, <laughs> that's slick. That's good. And and then they're like, oh, well, what's that? And then it turns into a lesson about, okay, so yeah, here's splitting the stock. Oh, well, what's a stock? Oh, well, a stock is, you know, Tesla's a cool company, right? How would you like to own it? Well, come on, I can't just go and like go and buy it from Elon Musk. Like, no, 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 it's publicly traded. You can go buy as much as you want as long as you got the cash. Like, what? Yeah. So I kind of started sneaking it in over a couple years. And of course, I try to sneak it in, but when people tell you, look, I couldn't care less, it's like, okay, you got to respect it. But then it became a matter of efficiency. Like, I could go and help one person a day until the day I die, but how much is that really going to help somebody? Or how many people will that actually be able to reach? And how many of the people that I talk to will actually absorb and accept the information and actually use it too? So then it started becoming a, well, how can I reach out to more people? Well, I hate writing. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm good at it, but I just don't have the patience for it. Definitely. But I can talk anyone's head off. So I wanted to do a podcast starting like maybe a year ago, maybe a year before, because I got big on Bigger Pockets Money. Uh-huh. I love that podcast. So I had the idea to do a podcast, but I wouldn't. Didn't really feel confident, wasn't really sure the steps involved. And then two things happened that led me towards actually doing it. The first is that I had a friend that I met through a Facebook group and she had had some money troubles and she had signed up for a mentorship program that that specific Facebook page had done, which was basically, hey, you know, people can sign up to either be a mentor or a mentee for specific subjects. And then the mentees can go through and find someone that offered to be a mentor for a certain thing and match up with them. Well, I signed up to be a mentor for personal finance. So I got paired with somebody and over a period of a couple months, like she was messaging me three or four times a day about random stuff, basically blank slate, didn't know much about finance and just, you know, was curious, wanted to get it set up. It was a single mom or she was a single mom in her 30s with two kids so you know budgeting investing paying off a house trying to get something set up to send her kids to college all that good stuff so for several months went back and forth almost every day like i helped her look through her 401k i helped her look into setting up college funds i helped her roll over her funds because she had showed me the portfolio she had had her stuff in and it was rough it was (laughs) It was not great. You got the classic funds that had high fees. You got an advisor in there taking his 1% while putting you into a fund that charges you another 2%. Like the classic don't get stuck with this stuff. So over a period of months, I helped her out and you know, just really got her to a better place. She was really grateful. And it really solidified my want to really you know, put this content out there. Because if I can help one person, like if just one more person hears my podcast, then it helps. Or if I see someone in the future and they're like, oh, hey, what's a stock? I don't have to have, I don't have, to have the same conversation six times. I can just record myself doing it once, put it in a podcast, and then as soon as somebody asks me and go, oh, well, I actually have a show that'll answer any question you want, or at least most of the questions. And then if you have anything after that, send me a message. Call me, text me, DM, whatever. 
chances are that episode is going to answer most of your questions as well as give you a foundation. Then when you come back and ask me the question, it's going to be a higher level question and we can get you really such really situated. So that was the first thing. The second thing is one of my best friends from college started his own podcast and he did it in like a month. So it was sort of a, oh, okay. So I saw him do it. And then I found out one of my fraternity brothers also started a podcast. Like, and both of them started it within like a month of each other. So it was sort of a, well, she is, I don't want to compare it and be like, well, if they could do it, I could do it. It wasn't like that. It was like a, for me, it was a difficulty thing. Like how hard, how complicated, how is this going to be? Well, and then in a short period of time, two of my friends did it like, like that. And you realized it was possible. Right. Like not just possible, but like I hadn't even looked into it. I didn't know how hard it would be. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's look into it. So I look into it and it turned out to not be that crazy. So I went ahead and I went for it. You are. That's pretty awesome. And you also have a YouTube fork, right? Yeah, because when it comes to finance, you really, it can't just be audio. Because especially if you start talking numbers, like I can tell you, look, if you put $100 a month away at 7% for 25 years, you've probably already forgotten the first two numbers here. Because as soon as you start talking and you throw out five or six numbers at a time, people are just going to forget. And there's nothing wrong with them. It's like, it's really hard to keep track of all those numbers just in your head. So the YouTube channel was a way to demonstrate the topics I needed to demonstrate in a format that would be really hard to follow. It was just audio. Got it, got it. So, I mean, how has it been for you? What have been some of like the ups and downs? Have you had any people like message you for certain topics? Like what's it been like so far? So far, it's been very rewarding. I'm getting up there closer to just a, down- a thousand downloads in the first couple months, yeah. which isn't bad. I'm proud of it. And then, so I mean, it's high in that I knew what I was able to do to that first person that I met through the Facebook group. And I'm intentionally trying to keep it anonymous because I imagine she's going to listen to this at some point. But uh, but I knew, sorry, I just got completely off track. So I knew that just for the amount of help I was able to give that first person that I helped through the Facebook group, if I had one person regularly listening through my podcast, if listening to this stuff could change your life, change your financial future, then it's worthwhile. Sure, it may not be the number one podcast and most people find finance boring, so our download numbers are usually pretty low compared to something like true crime. Yeah, true. But every person that listens is going to get something from it. And this is something that it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how much you care. Like you can listen to a space you can listen to a skateboarding co- you can listen to a skateboarding podcast and never skateboard a day in your life. But anyone and everyone, if they're an adult responsible for themselves, is gonna need everything I'm talking about. Budgeting, 401ks, personal finance is not unique to a specific subset of people. It's everyone. So that was definitely a high point. Low point was when I first discovered that YouTube gives you some really advanced statistics if you have a channel and you can go through and look at your stuff. The first time I discovered that was about two months into having the YouTube channel. And the detail that it gave me was that on average, someone watched my video for two minutes. How long are your videos? Uh, I think the shortest one is like eight or nine minutes. 
So that kind of broke my heart the first time. But then again, I understand those numbers are probably skewed because when I release a podcast episode, it also goes on to YouTube. Because I imagine there's going to be somebody who's just not comfortable with podcasting apps. Maybe they don't have any on their phone, whatever. So if it's on YouTube, it's just another opportunity for people to listen. So I I think those might have done it because my demonstration videos are a lot better because, you know, it's not a repeat of what's already on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But that was definitely not a fun moment where it was like, yeah, so you got like six hours of six or 10 hours of content on YouTube and on average, uh, every individual watches two minutes of it and then that's it. Well, I mean, you are just getting started. I feel like the numbers are going up. I've listened to the podcast myself, and the part of the reason why I'm happy to have you on is because I think it's also pretty solid, and I'm saying that as another personal finance podcaster. So, and so I'm sure the numbers will go up, especially as more people start to listen to the podcast. And like you said, it's something that's applicable to everybody. So, yeah, I'd say just give it time. But that's really yeah, thank cool, you. Though. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. Um, so, I mean, bringing it back to personal finance, and as we get to the end of the interview... What are some, what's some financial advice you wish you had received earlier? And how has, you know, having this personal, this passion for finance, this uh, personal finance podcast, how has that affected your finances, like, personally? So to answer your first question, something I wish I knew, the biggest irony, I think, of me doing personal finance was, so I didn't actually go to school originally. So I actually didn't go to college originally for finance. I was a computer science major for three years. And then due to a series of unfortunate events that neither myself or the school could control, they told me that it would be another at least two or three years before I could graduate. So it was like, let's see, two or three more years to graduate, or I can switch to a different major and then graduate, you know, a year or two sooner. So for me, it was a no brainer. So then I went for finance, but the reason I bring that up is because the semester before I took my first finance class, my car, let's see, it was described to me as fragmented. Like my transmission apparently turned into a frag grenade. Uh, some, Some part exploded and metal shards hit like all over the undercarriage of my SUV. So it came time to where I probably needed a new car. (laughs) <laughs> you know, before the rest of it decided to explode. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why you drive your arm with explosive. Yeah, just why not? What can I say? I was just flying, uh, you know, going 35 down the highway. <laughs> but, uh, so I needed a new car. So, I think it was like six or seven months before I would go on to take my first finance ca- my first finance class. I went and I bought a new car. First off, it had to be new, because, you know, stupid and then had to be new didn't negotiate just sticker price and then something i actually sort of blame my mom for uh is that i was gonna get so i drive an ultima so i i had it here's the ultima about to start signing the paperwork then my mom who has switched cars fairly often throughout her life she's gotten a different car like every two or three years she came up before I'm signing the paperwork and she gave me a speech. I was like, Alex, look, when you're driving a car, you always have that one thing. Like if you're looking for a car, everyone has that one thing they want. Either they have a long commute, so they want a really comfortable car, 
or they like listening to music or whatever while they drive so they get the supreme sound package or so everyone has this one thing that they really want for their car and if you don't have it you're gonna hate driving that car every time you get behind the wheel every time you start the engine you're just gonna hate the car so me being maybe 20 21 at the time uh what do you think i wanted in a car i mean i'm gonna say sound system or sunroof Nah, speed and power (laughs) so i was gonna get the four cylinder alto and as a nissan dealership so it's not like i'm going to get a mustang so she gives me this speech that you got to get the one thing like this is the one thing you you there's you got to get the one thing otherwise you're gonna hate your car so I decided to up to a almost 300 horsepower six-cylinder Altima. Ooh. Still looks like a mom car, but has like 20 less horsepower than a Mustang. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's fun. The cops don't look at you sideways. It's like, oh, it's just a mom car. You know, she's trying to get to soccer practice. And then I get too close. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a, that's a dude. <laughs> that's but fun. yeah, at the red light, people don't know how much get up I got. <laughs> so she gives me this speech so naturally i gotta upgrade by another like four or five thousand dollars to get the six cylinder and i still have that car today which i've paid it off within like three years and my goal is to drive it for the next five or six until it dies or falls apart or fragments like my last one just to kind of make up for it but in short my biggest mistake was six months before i started my finance journey I went and I bought a brand new car and got it on a $26,000 loan. What kind of interest? Uh, it actually wasn't bad. Uh, 6.8, which for my credit, honestly wasn't bad, but overall you really don't want over 5% for an interest rate. Fair enough, yes. So then, since you've gone to school for finance and, you know, been on this journey, would you like what would you say has improved the most? If anything, I would think my discipline has. Because it's sort of like uh, everyone knows you got to save because future you is going to really love it or hate you currently. Like, you got to put this away. Everyone is going to retire. Like, everyone's going to get to a point where it's going to be time to retire. Everyone's going to want a vacation. There's no downside of having good finances. Besides, you might not have the shiniest thing right here, right now. Like, delayed gratification is really its own reward. But I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) Talking about your discipline. Right. So everyone's going to have that thing that they want. Delayed gratification is its own benefit. But once you have like a a personal finance show, once you start getting more responsibilities, in the time I've been doing this, I went from going $10 an hour working as basically a glorified bank teller to making you know adult money and having a mortgage and a paid off car although it wasn't like that until recently but having the education before you get into that position where you're drowning because you overspent on your mortgage or you have that credit card like I think the benefit to me especially was that having this show has made me feel more responsible in that I have to set the good example I have to be the one that does everything right, plays by the books. And then as I stumble, if I stumble, I need to go out there and put out a podcast episode or a tweet and tell people, 
hey, you need to watch out for this. That's true. Have that kind of integrity and accountability. Yeah, and just be the guinea pig. Got you, got you. I, I'm, I'm willing to go on a podcast and be an idiot for the dozen people that listen to my show. <laughs> fair enough, <laughs> fair enough. All right, so this is the question I always ask at the end of the show. But before I do, can you please tell my audience where they can find more of you? Absolutely. I'm on, oh, wow, it's probably easier to say what I'm not on. I'm on 10 different podcasting platforms. So if it has a podcast, it probably has me. And it's Main Street Finance, and the street is ST. So it's like Main ST Finance. I'm, let's see. And then I also have the YouTube channel. That's going to be just Main Street Finance yet again. If you know my logo from one or the other, it's the same logo across everything. And then I'm also on Twitter at Main Street Money. Unfortunately, someone stole Main Street Finance from me. Aw. Yeah, apparently I'm not original. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I also have an email address. That's MainSTFinance at gmail.com. I am happy to say that for the moment, I'm able to respond to every email, every tweet, every DM. So I encourage people on my show and really anywhere, if you have a personal finance question, shoot me an email, shoot me a DM, uh, shoot me a tweet, do whatever, comment on my YouTube video. I'm, luckily, I'm still at the small enough size where I can respond to everything. So feel free to reach out. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And I'll put the links to all of that inside the bio. So guys, please make sure to go link it up. And I actually found him on Twitter on Twitter. So I can personally attest and say that his Twitter game is actually pretty strong. So that's a good follow. And as you've heard, he knows a lot what he's talking about and he's passionate about it. So now my three these last two this is the last question I always ask, right? You know, you have this podcast, you have this degree in finance, you have this discipline now, this accountability, this humility. Take away, like, you know, all the titles that you hold and just you as a person, Alex. What are three main lessons you think have kind of carried you to where you are now? Like, three rules that you, like, live by? Let's see. I don't know if I was prepared for that one. Nobody ever (laughs) is. That's why I always ask at the the end. Let's see. So is it three things I was prepared for? Or that... I'm sorry, I already forgot. (laughs) It's just three, like, life lessons or just three things that you, like, always adhere to. Like, just kind of three principles that you believe are responsible for getting where you are today. It could be quotes. It doesn't have to be about finance necessarily. It could just be about, like, life, like, as far as what drives you to do what you do. Well, as far as drives me to do what I do, that, that kind of jogged something there. So one of my biggest quotes that I like to live by, I want to say it was Warren Buffett but I'm not 100%. But it was your 8 to 5 pays the bills, but your 6 to 12 builds the empire. So a lot of people would read that different ways. Go and get a side, go and get a side hustle, go and get a second job. But to me, I think it's you need to work harder than the average person. Your average person will work that 8 to 5 and then make life fit everywhere else. But if you have that secondary thing or if you put in the work it doesn't even have to be actual work if you put in for something for that six to twelve it doesn't even have to be every day but if you do that little bit extra that puts you from average to above average so definitely follow that another one that i use mostly for me i'm trying to go through and lose some weight here because you know good old corona Uh, (laughs) 
Corona and that freshman 15 that I still never got rid of. That's funny. <laughs> something I use more for that is that to have something you've never had, you need to do something you've never done. I'm a big quotes guy, so I like I like having I, these back like pocket it. kind of quotes. I like it. But I really believe in that because it's like you didn't put on those 15 pounds, you know, not doing stuff. Or you're not going to get rid of those 15 pounds doing the same things you did that gave it to you. Exactly. And it's like if you want to have something that you've never had, well, if you've never had it, you've never done whatever it takes to get it. That's fair. That's definitely a good Let's see, and the third thing. Third, I'd just say take responsibility. Like, you can, for a certain amount of time, depending on what it is, you can choose to ignore something. You got a bill coming up, oh, just put it at the back of your mind, whatever. Or, oh, you got to do the lawn? Oh, well, it could grow for another couple of days. You can almost always procrastinate. But in the end, whatever it is you're pushing off has to get done. So... I don't mean for this to be a primarily procrastination thing, but if you don't take care of your responsibilities, you know what they are. A lot of times you know what it is ahead of time. If you don't get it taken care of now, you're probably going to live to regret it later. Very true. agree. Honestly, I love it. I love it. That was great. And I appreciate you coming on. It was good to be here. Thanks for, thank you for inviting me. Of course, of course. My name is Paris Grant. This is Alex from Main Street Finance. And here on the Millennial to Millionaire podcast, we don't keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. Perfect. All right. Thank you. All right. If you've listened this far, that means that there's nothing I can do from stopping you from listening from every episode from the beginning to the end. And the only thing I want to take this time to say is that I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope you gained some value from it and you got some insight into kind of what it's like behind the mind of a podcaster and that you're aware that there's other financial hosts out there who can speak your language. And even if Alex isn't your cup of tea, just know that there are others and I will be featuring them on the show as often as I possibly can. I forgot to say it in the beginning But please make sure you subscribe to my actual show if you like it. Please leave ratings, reviews, all that good stuff. It really helps to make me and Alex's day when we see these ratings and reviews to like let us know how we're doing. Other than that, I'm praying for all of your safety, your health, your wealth. I want all your relationships to be thriving as we enter the fourth quarter of the year because it is September 1st as of this recording. I just want to make sure that we stay on track with our goals we remain present and more than anything we don't keep it 100 we keep it 1 million